thank you so much for coming and joining us today at Carolina Family Church. My name is John. This is my wife, Jess. And we are in the middle of a series called How to Poke a Bear, where we are talking about those things in our life that we would rather let sleep. We would rather they hibernate and not come up. But the reality is, if we don't deal with them, they're going to wake up when they're good and ready. And they are going to wake up at the worst possible time. And so these are the kinds of things we have to deal with on the front end so they don't bite us on the back end. You like that? <laughs> I like that. Uh, anyway, so uh, we talked about greed, and we talked about um, addiction, comparison. We, comparison. we talked about a lot of different things um, during the series. And um, so today, uh, and I, I think I prefaced this last week by saying I feel like maybe this week is the toughest one. Um, it's, last week we talked about uh, grief, and that was that was certainly very tough. But this one's tough because this has to do with things that we keep hidden in most cases. Things that we simply don't want to talk about. We don't want people to know about them for, with us because we're afraid of what they may think of us. And so I feel like it's appropriate if we start the message today with a confession. Yours or mine? <laughs> Like, are we playing them? Thank you, my child. There should be a screen. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, mine, um, because I have something I have to tell you. And I... I find this nowhere on the notes, P.S. No. <laughs> also, I'm super loud. Yeah, just try to... I'm loud in general, there. but also I'm super loud. There, there we go. go. Okay. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah, so confession right. time. And I intentionally didn't tell you about this because I'm so embarrassed about it. And you're gonna think it's you're gonna think it's a big deal. Um, it is safe to confess in front of the group, though. So just so you don't think it's anything. Marriage therapy technique. Like I'm not sure what's happening. Okay, I'm ready. Confess your sins one to another, that you may be healed. I think is what the scripture says, right? So are you ready? Are you sure? Is your heart prepared? Okay. I've been I've been carrying this with me for days, and it's been eating me alive, and I feel like it's finally time for me to say something. Are you ready? I don't want to say it. That's why I'm stalling. <laughs> okay. I stole your pillow. <laughs> it was like three nights ago. I washed the sheet the other day, and I was like, something's different about my pillow. Yeah. Her pillow is better than mine. And it's more comfortable. Mine's lumpy, you know, and hers is nice and pillowy soft. And so the other night, I couldn't sleep very well, and you kind of rolled off your pillow. And so I did walk through there. <laughs> and, and it's been eating me up because I thought, what kind of husband steals his wife's pillow and takes the good one for himself? Does not a self-sacrificing husband give his wife the good pillow and take the bad one for himself? The answer is yes. So that tells you all you need to know about me. Right? So, it is not about It is certainly not. And so today, on that note, we are going to talk about shame. Okay? Shame is what we carry with us when we've made a bad decision. And taking your pillow is a bad decision. I can pass it in front of everyone. No. <laughs> I feel like now that so I confess, I don't need to give it back, right? I can, yeah, I feel like we're good. We're in the open. That's not how that works. 
Okay. Well, anyway, so today we're going to talk about. Start the message. Yeah, let's do that. We're going to talk about shame today. Yeah, and and all jokes aside, shame is a really powerful emotion, and um, it's it might bring up some things for you. My middle schoolers call it a trigger warning. Um, so you might um, just take this and remember, God loves you, and we love you, and we're gonna um, we're gonna work through this this bear together. But shame is a really powerful emotion, um, but it's different from guilt. And those two things get lumped together quite often, shame and guilt. And we wanted to take a minute and just talk about the difference because um, John read not just the headline, but the entire article of an article in Psychology Today and then linked it to me, which of course I read it. Um, and it explained the difference between shame and guilt. And it was really profound to us as we worked through the scripture and this change in definition because it says guilt has to do with what I did, but shame has to do with who I am, who I feel and think that I am. And so guilt um, says I did something bad, and shame says I am bad. And so that's a really important distinction because Satan would love for us to just live in our shame and just continuously repeat um, that phrase to us. And in fact, it's something that we've been training um, our kids. It's a careful turn of phrase that we've been really working with our kids through because they go to school with all sorts of people um, and they themselves are little humans. And so there are times when a child makes a bad choice. And when we discuss those behaviors, we're really careful to not say the child is bad, he is bad, she is bad, but the choice was a bad choice. The decision was a bad decision. Um, and really just make that distinction between the two. And we really wanted to start there in the difference between guilt and shame. Yeah, and, and I, our kids are picking up on that, which we're really glad about. It's an important distinction for us to be able to make, not only when we're looking at someone else, which is the case in, in that situation, but when we look at ourselves. To be able to make the distinction between what we've done and who we are, and to keep those things clear. Uh, one of the greatest mistakes that we make in life is to build our identity around our failures. So to look at who, what I have done in my past and say, because I lied, I am a liar. Because I cheated, I am a cheater. Because I, whatever, I am this. And we often will take and define our personal identity, our sense of value, and our sense of purpose by what we've done in the past. And the, the, one of the real problems with that is that if we do that, then our past behaviors begin to shape our future decisions. Because we say, well, I lied, so I'm a liar, and I'm probably always going to be a liar. So when we embrace shame, when we make mistakes and we embrace shame, then I'm saying, I am a failure. And if I am a failure, then I expect to fail in the future. But if we can learn to distinguish between those two things, because, hey, listen, guilt can be an important thing in our life at times. We would call that conviction to be able to look back at what we've done and know that it was wrong or know that it was bad or that it didn't honor God. That's, that, that can be a powerful thing. But when I can look back and instead of saying I'm a failure, say I failed, then I can make decisions that are going to change that in the future. But I have to make sure that I don't let shame uh, sink in. Um, guilt, like I said, could be a good thing. But if we, if we allow our past mistakes to define who we are, then it takes us down a hopeless path in life. And we've got to be very careful with that. 
Sure, there's a um, really popular right now and famous um, psychologist, Renee Brown. Uh, shout out to her Netflix special if you haven't watched it. Um, hopefully you're done with that addiction part of breaking Netflix addiction, you can go back and watch it. Um, but she has this great um, quote that says, shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we are capable of change. And so shame will wear you down to where you feel like your current state is your constant state. Um, shame is a bear that uh, we'd rather keep it in because it's how we see ourselves and we don't want others to see us that way. And so we build walls and we build stories around the version they want us to see. And when our shame becomes public, that's when, and it happens a lot, you've seen it, I'm sure, happen to people. Um, and that's when they start to feel less than or empty or zero. And um, I'm gonna go out there and say, because we have both perspectives, I do think that shame might be a bigger issue with women. Um, the shaming of women is a real thing that happens in our culture. Um, shame is something um, that women carry deeply, other because of their choices or others, um, and it cuts. It, it cuts deeply. It can affect your entire outlook on other people, your relationship with other people, and how you carry yourself throughout the day. Yeah, I agree. I, I see that. I think that um, it does affect women probably more deeply. And part of that is uh, um, personality. Um, part of that is, frankly, um, uh, culture telling uh, uh, women and men what they should or should not be ashamed of. And um, frankly, there are a lot of things that men should feel guilt over <laughs> doing and have done that our culture says is good or celebrated. And so, um, although I think that when women do feel this more than men, it probably should be more equal than it is, and that's our culture that does that. I know some guys who wear things that maybe they should be ashamed of as badges of honor, okay? That's that's something, that, that's a real thing. So it's, it's a matter of looking at um, our past mistakes, recognizing them as mistakes, yes, but not allowing the men to define us as we go forward. Shame is really an identity issue. Shame is an identity issue, and it's an issue of perception. How we perceive ourselves, and then also when it's public, how other people may perceive us. And I believe that God wants all of us to be in a process of recentering our identity and learning to re-perceive who we are and who we're supposed to be and who we can be. And this is one of those areas when we look back at our past mistakes that can ease that we need to learn how to break and look at differently so that we can honor God in our lives. And if you find that you, you find yourself consumed with shame over a decision or multiple decisions or lifestyle or whatever it is that you've, you've experienced in the past and you find that you're carrying shame, I want you to know you don't have to anymore. Okay, you don't have to. We do need to look back at those things and recognize them for what they are, but we do not have to carry shame and allow it to define who we are going to be. And so um, what shame does is shame allows our behavior to determine our identity. And what God wants is your identity to determine your behavior. So we have to flip that around to allow what we know about our identity to define what we do. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go um, to the book of Romans today to learn. And Romans, just so you know, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and start turning to Romans chapter 8. Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians who are in Rome. And now we all understand Rome. This is, this is Rome at the height of the Roman Empire. Okay, This is Caesars and all that kind of stuff that's going on. And, um, and so uh, he's writing to, to Christians that are in a very secular society, for one thing. 
um, who don't necessarily understand all of the, uh, the pre-existing information that the Jews would have had near Jerusalem and in the areas that some of the other letters are written, so they don't have that same common language and the same uh, uh, assumptions and the same background knowledge that other uh, writers or the other recipients of letters that he doesn't have. So when he writes to the Christians in Rome, he really starts at square one with them to try and uh, define for them what salvation is and what it isn't. And uh, he uses very meticulous language in the book of Romans to do that. And so I will just say that if you, if you set out to study Romans, you need to do that very carefully. Um, and you need to do it with a lot of resources and help to understand what's going on there. Um, through chapters really like 4, 5, 6, and 7, he spends a lot of time talking about what salvation is and what it isn't, because there's a lot of misunderstandings, and I'm just like, there's a lot of misunderstandings today. And so he spends a lot of time defining what uh, receiving Christ looks like. And uh, for those of you that may not be familiar with it, I'll, I'll try to boil it down as tightly as, as I can. This is certainly not a full synopsis of Romans 4, 5, 6, and 7. But uh, salvation, first of all, is not something that we can earn on our own. There's no way, I'm sinful, you're sinful, we're all sinful, we've made mistakes and we've fallen short of God's glory, and there is no way that we could ever earn our way into heaven. There, that's what pretty much every other religion in the world is based on, earning your way to God. It just can't happen, we aren't capable of it. And we recognize that as Christians. And so the only way that we can be saved is if someone pays the penalty for sin, because it needs to be paid, pays that for us. And so God sent his son Jesus to earth. Jesus lived without sin and gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross, died on the cross. They're doing what we can't do, paying for our sins for us. And so he offered himself as a substitute. He died on the cross for us. He was put into a tomb. On the third day he rose again. Power proving power over sin and death, proving that he's the son of God. And salvation, it can't be earned. So there's no action that we have to do. There's, there's no step that we have to take other than to believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. We believe in Him. We believe that He died on the cross for our sins, paid for our sins. And when we believe that, we trust and put our faith in Him for salvation. He forgives us. And we know that we're going to be with Him in heaven forever. In heaven and then the kingdom that He's bringing. So we know we're going to be with Him forever. And that's the simplicity of the gospel. So Paul works his way through a very logical argument through the first part of Romans. But then when he gets to Romans chapter 8, he turns a bit of a corner. And he begins talking to them about how then to live in that salvation. So now that you've accepted Christ by faith and you know that you're saved and you're spending eternity with God, what do you do now? And so we're going to work through some parts of Romans chapter 8. There's tons of great stuff here that we could teach. We're not going to teach all of it. But we're going to make our way through to understand this issue of shame, condemnation, which is a very hard word to say. And if I mess it up, I apologize. Nailed it that time. No promises going forward. So shame and condemnation and that feeling that we have that we are covered in our sin. So um, that's what we're going to get into in Romans chapter 8. I want to make sure, I know it's a lot of context, but I want to make sure that we understand where we're dropping in here um, because of the nature of this letter. All right, so we're going to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, to be in Christ Jesus means that you have put your faith in Jesus, that you put your trust in Jesus for salvation. So he said, for those that have made that decision, there is no condemnation. That means that, that whatever you've done, whatever sin you've committed, it does not sit on your shoulders. It sits on Jesus' shoulders. 
Everything you have done, everything you do today, everything that you will do in the future already rests on Jesus' shoulders. There is no condemnation for you. You don't have to wear it around like a straitjacket. Okay, that's, he starts off and says, you got to let that go. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, after we accept Christ as our Savior, our challenge then is to learn how to walk according to the Spirit of God, who comes to reside within us and listen to Him and follow Him, versus listening to the flesh, which is listening to me. You know, I have to learn how to, tr my, my mind needs to be transformed if I want to honor God and if I want to experience life the way He designed for me to experience it. It is a fleshly thing to be consumed by shame. It is a self-focused thing to be consumed by shame. It is something that comes from the sin nature with, that's within us. And we have to learn how to think differently and walk differently in the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit, going back to the Scripture, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, there are two things at play here that, that I want us to focus on. And there are two words that we're going to use throughout the message today. And they're the words position and condition. Position and condition. What is my position and what is my condition? The first one, position, is answering the question, who am I? Who am I? And there are only two options in life to answer that question. I am either in Christ or I am in the flesh. I am either in Christ or in the flesh. Positionally, for all of eternity, I am either in Christ or in the flesh. And that choice comes simply by faith, whether or not we put our faith in Jesus Christ. To be in the flesh is to trust in ourselves for salvation. To be in the flesh is to think we're okay and that we can make it on our own. To be in the flesh is to depend on our own abilities and our own strength to overcome evil. And I don't know about you, I've proved in my life I can't do that. I'm not capable of any of those things. The contrast to that is being our position in Christ. And to be in Christ is to trust in Him for salvation. To be in Christ is to admit that we're not okay and that we cannot make it on our own. And to be in Christ is to depend on the work of the cross to overcome evil, not our own work. And that work of the cross is Christ giving his life on the cross for our sins. To know that he conquered sin and death, I cannot. Only by being in him can I. And so what we want to talk about today, based on our condition, and we'll talk about position in a minute, uh, we want to talk about how to be free of shame. And if we want to be free of shame, the first thing is that I must accept Christ's grace. I must take my position in Christ, responding to the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. And I think it's important um, to take a minute. We haven't yet touched on this, but um, there is another side to shame. Um, and it is the shame that we carry because of something that someone else has done to us. And, and that may be you. You may... Um, you may have let someone else's behavior or someone else's choices um, form your identity or form um, a lot of what you believe about yourself. And in a lot of ways, it makes many people feel like they are of no value because someone chose to treat them like they have no value. And 
you're probably quick to not trust people because of someone who was very close to you and betrayed you. And I want you to know that those are very normal feelings. Those are very fleshy feelings. And God doesn't want you to carry that. He wants, you to, he wants to call you out of that. And he wants you to accept your position um, as his son or as his daughter. And that is the position you should take right now if you're struggling with that. Um, truthfully, what they did to you has everything to do with them, their identity, their decisions, their um, feeling about their worth, and not yours. And so you have nothing to be ashamed of that is not shame for you to carry, and you need to step out of that and into the light. You need to claim what that is and walk directly um, into the light because that's not yours. So you need to put that down and let that go. Right. Whether we're, we are going to focus today on um, shame that comes as a result of our own decisions, um, but it can come from other people's decisions and what they've done to us. Um, but either way, the first thing that we have to do in order to step out of that is understand who we are and, and to take our position in Christ and say, regardless of what has happened in the past, what I did or what's been done to me, I have a different identity, and that identity is as a child of God. That identity is as someone who is forgiven and free and redeemed and been given that by grace, not by anything that I've earned. And so we have to learn how to put on that mentality in order to walk out of that, in order to walk away from that shame. And and I would add this, and this is this is like this is like superhuman level, superhero level of this. Is, is being able to look at the person who did this to you with the same eyes. And to, if, if it is the result of someone else's actions. And to say, they are a sinner, just like I was a sinner. And they are able to respond to God's grace the same way that I was able to respond to God's grace. And it's learning to look at that person not with anger, but learning to look at that person with compassion. Which I know, when you've been through that, is like... I don't think I could ever do that. I get it. It's like superhero level, okay? It's 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 the, the ultimate level of forgiveness and grace to forgive someone who has harmed you in that way. And all I can think, you know, anytime we need an example, we go directly to Christ first. And, and to see Christ hanging on the cross and the, the mentality and the perspective that he took while he was looking at the people who were in the process of killing him. We're in the process of belittling him, berating him, treating him as if he was no value, and ultimately executing him. For him to be able to look at the people that were doing it and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I have a hard time even comprehending how he could do that. But that is like ninja level grace. Okay, that is, the, and, and if you can get to that place of being able to see that person that way, whether they, listen, they may not have accepted Christ, all right? And God will bring the judgment for them that, that, that he is bringing. But if they have the opportunity to put the, the faith in Christ just like anyone else, and when you're able to look at them with compassion that way, it is just, it will absolutely, it'll rock their world, it'll rock their world. And I think that's where we need to get to, to say, I am in Christ, and that person is either in Christ or not in Christ. And so we have to understand our position. Sure. And so once we understand our position, then we switch to our condition. Then we start to take a look at our condition. And so the condition, our condition is how we walk. 
then. Knowing our position, how do we walk? And there are two options for our condition. I bet you can guess them. The two are, we can walk in the flesh, or we can walk in the spirit. And so those are two options for position, there are two options for condition. And walking in the spirit is the daily decision to think the way God thinks, um, and to act the way he wants us to act, and to make decisions um, with his heart and his intent in our mind, um, versus the natural way that I would make decisions, or the natural way that we would walk through um, making choices. And it's a daily condition. Um, it's waking up every day and making that choice to walk in the spirit versus walk in the flesh. Our position is already secure, but it's the daily choices that set our condition. So uh, step number two to be free of shame is that I must walk in the spirit's peace. It's, it's incredibly sad to me, and I see this in my own life, so I'm not speaking from this by the strength of imagination, but that, uh, that many of us could be in Christ, the child of God, could be forgiven for our sin, could have an eternal home, could have great hope waiting for us, and yet we would still choose to walk in the flesh. That we would, that we would still choose to live in a, in a way that may make sense to us or make sense to the people around us, but is not what God has already told us is best. And that there, that's a contrast that exists within all of us as Christians at different times and varying degrees that it should be our goal to resolve so that I am learning how to walk. I'm, a, I'm learning how to walk in the Spirit because I know positionally I'm in Christ. And to put that on every single day and to remind ourselves of those things. Because the alternative, even if we're in Christ, we can still walk in the flesh and we can still suffer our way through life and be frustrated and be confused and be into despair. And it's because we're walking in the flesh instead of walking in the spirit. And uh, Paul says it this way as we get down to verse 5. In verse 5 he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So we're learning how to walk in the Spirit's peace instead of walking in death. You know, when he talks about this here, he's not talking about being eternally separated from God. He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about the experience of death in life. That if we choose to walk in the flesh, then we will experience death. We will experience what everybody else experiences. But if we walk in the Spirit, we can experience life and peace. And I just want you to know, for those of you that are struggling, particularly with those mistakes you've made in the past, the decisions that you've made, um, if you live there mentally, if you focus on those things, if you dwell there in your mind and in your heart, it will kill you. It will kill you from the inside out, and God does not want you to live that way. He wants you to live in the open, in the light, with life and peace. He said, I think it was um, it's verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. I don't have to focus there. I don't have to put all of my energy and attention there. I can be free from that. Right, and this contrast you know, comes up often because being forgiven and feeling forgiven aren't the same thing. And so while our position is that we are forgiven um, through Jesus' death on the cross, we still beat ourselves up in our condition, in our walk. 
we are still carrying that with us because we aren't forgiving ourselves. We don't feel that. Um, and so if we focus on our mistakes and our identity in them, that's um, what leads to all these other things, all these other emotions. We carry around anxiety and fear and hopelessness. And it, that, that those choices and that shame start to breed all these other things inside of us and weigh us down. Um, we're going to go to verse 14 through 17 and continue. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. I just want to, I want to take a second to clarify. Because, you know, you read a verse or, or section of verses that have been translated into English and punctuation has been added and all that, it can be hard to understand what a verse is saying. This is one that's commonly misunderstood. If you read it on the surface, it looks like. I was, well, I was going to say, I was going to try to explain this verse, and then when we talked about it, I was like, yeah, no, I can't do that. <laughs> So, I'll just i keep it as simple as I can. But what it looks like on the surface is, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. What it looks like it's saying is, in order to be a child of God, you have to walk in the Spirit. That 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 the way you live is then conditional to whether you're saved or not. It's, that's not what it's saying. That would contradict everything he said in the previous chapters. What this is saying is that um, the people who are led by the Spirit, who choose to walk in the Spirit, will be identified as sons and daughters of God, will be seen for that externally. Will be So maybe I put it this way. If I'm finding my identity and my walk in the Spirit, I will be identified as somebody who walks in the Spirit. So the internal becomes external. That's what that's all. So verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And see, this walking in forgiveness, that, is, that means that we are remembering who we are. And we are children of God. It said so in these verses, and Jesus' entire life and ministry tried to show us that. And so much so that this word, Abba, here in this verse, that's a very close term of endearment. It's, it is similar to saying daddy, calling God daddy, um, which we talked a lot about this week. And I just think of those moments when... Um, when my babies were in cribs, but able to talk, and they would try to be getting someone, you know, to come get them or not make them go to bed, and they'd be yelling for mommy, and she wouldn't respond. <laughs> and in that moment, Jared specifically would yell out, Daddy! And just the desperation and, and the hope at the same time in his voice to know that his father would rush in there and save him, give him the pacifier, do all the things that I refuse to do. But that is that level of intimacy with our father um, when we're able to cry out, Abba. Right. And I would run into the room and be like, where's your mom? <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's, it, is, it is a very close personal. He, listen, when, people, when the authors of the Bible wrote the Bible, they chose words very intentionally. And so when he puts the word Abba here, he wants us to look at God with that same level of connection and trust um, that a child would look at their, their father would, and would look to him for. And um, so it's very important. And um, 
And as he's doing this, he points out a very important reality. And this is something that I'm not sure we think about. I know we don't think about it enough. And he says that you've not been given the spirit of bondage and fear. You've been given the spirit of adoption. I'm a child. And God is my, is my daddy. And, and uh, the spirit bears witness that that is true. And he says this, and this is the promise. And as you read through the New Testament, this is what the authors of the New Testament are always trying to get us to hold on to in the church. And the promise is that he says, and if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God. What that means is that just like you would, you would see that in, in life when you have an heir, you pass on what is yours to them. That's what being an heir means. It means you inherit all of the goodness and all the wealth and all of this position and all the whatever of your father. So when this says that when we're in Christ, we're children of God and that we're heirs, it means that we stand, those of us who are children of God, stand to inherit God's kingdom, to be in God's kingdom and to participate in how he's going to set this world right. And that's an incredible honor, and we should focus far more on that than we should here. Our focus should be on what's eternal and what's coming and what's good instead of what's here and what's broken and what's passing. And so, and you see that throughout the New Testament over and over and over and over again. That is where our eyes are supposed to be. That's where our attention is supposed to be. And he said, he said, listen, we're not led by the spirit of bondage or fear. We have a father who we're inheriting his kingdom. And then he goes further than that because positionally, all of you who are positionally in Christ will be in the kingdom of God. If you put your faith in Christ, you will be in the kingdom of God. But he goes further than that in this verse. And he says, and joint heirs with Christ, that's a higher level of inheritance, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. So what he's saying is, if you're positionally in Christ, you're going to be in the kingdom. But if you conditionally walk in the spirit, then you're going to receive an even, even greater reward in the kingdom of God. And I'm really looking forward to the series after this one. We're going to do a three-week series called Citizen. It will wrap around the 4th of July. And we're going to talk about how to be citizens of the United States of America and citizens of the kingdom of God at the same time and what that looks like. And it, I'm really, really looking forward to that one. And one of the things we'll so, be... Mommy. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to know? Yeah. yeah. And so one of the things I'm really looking forward to in that is that the kingdom of God is not something we talk enough about. And it's not tangible enough to most of us, even though the kingdom of God is more tangible than the world we're living in right now. So we're going to talk in that series about what exactly that means and what it's going to be like and how it's going to be different than the world we live in now. That one's going to be really, really good. But what he's trying to do, try to take our attention and put it there. So to be heirs is to be in the kingdom. To be joint heirs with Christ, if we suffer with him, is to receive a full reward, everything he wants for us, and all, all that goes with it. And so, and so if we're going to come out of shame, if we're going to shake loose of shame, then we have to understand uh, who we are, that we are in Christ, that we are saved and forgiven and redeemed and all of that. And we have to walk in the Spirit so that we are living that way and not just thinking that way, so that we're following our, our identity with our actions. And then we have to be looking forward to what's coming, knowing that God is going to set all things right and that we have a new identity in Him um, that we are looking forward to. And He says in verse 24 and 25, for we are saved in this hope. This is the hope we're talking about. He said, "This is the, we are saved in this hope. But hope that's not seen is not hope. 
So if you're not thinking forward, if your eyes aren't on the future, you're not going to have hope. You're not going to think things can change. You're not going to think things can get better. And I'm not talking about situationally. I'm talking about internally. All right? you're, not going to, you're not going to believe that. You're not going to have hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, that's the kingdom that's coming. If we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So, if we want to be free of shame, we have to turn our eyes to the kingdom that's coming, not the kingdom that has been. Okay? The kingdom that will be, not the kingdom that has been. So, this is the third thing. I must hope in God's goodness. I must hope in His goodness. And when we fix our eyes on the kingdom that Christ is bringing, then on His return and on His reign, then we find our hope and our significance. And it's found in what is coming, not what is past. And that is um, the power and the beauty and the forgiveness in that. Our identity becomes a as a citizen of the kingdom um, because of what God has done, because of what Christ has done for us. And here's the thing. It's really hard to believe that you are worthless when you realize the Son of God gave up his life for you. And it is hard to believe that you cannot change when the Spirit of God is transforming you continuously. And it's hard to believe, to continue to believe, that mistakes define you when the Father, when our Father has called you children of His and heirs of His kingdom. And so um, we actually have a, because I'm a nerd and a teacher, we actually have a little uh, handout. Yes, we have a handout for you. You're going to come and hand that out now. Um, it's not homework, okay? But here's the thing. The thing about what we're talking about today is it's something that we have to constantly remember. Thank you. All right. Um, these are some things that we need to constantly remember. And it's the mental difference between looking at ourselves in the flesh and looking at ourselves in Christ. And so what we've done, this, this is based on another uh, handout that somebody gave me this week and um, altered it a little bit, kind of made it our own. Um, these are reminders. And this might be something that you want to place somewhere. Maybe it's in your Bible for when you do quiet time, or maybe it's on your fridge so you see it in the mornings or on the dashboard of your car or somewhere in your cubicle at work or, or in the bathroom here or whatever. And uh, I might recommend to you that you would not only read these things regularly, but maybe read, read them out loud to yourself so that you remember that these things are true, what is untrue, what is true. We have to constantly be reminding ourselves, we thought this would be helpful. And right now I'm kind of trading waters and waiting for everybody to get their handouts. <laughs> They're coming through and we're getting towards the back. So I will jump in and say that the, um, the study of um, positive affirmation is a real thing um, and extremely helpful and done a lot in therapy and with um, psychologists. And so we talked a lot about that in, in giving you this, so that if shame, if you're really, if you're really struggling and you're really bogged down, but even today, like I just don't know how to feel forgiven for these things, then really looking at that study of saying positive affirmations, the um, the side that says in Christ, just use those. These are the truths from the Bible, and so if you can say these out loud to yourself, and it really does. Um, change how your brain is wired. Right. So Jess mentioned earlier that, that being forgiven and feeling forgiven are two different things. They're two steps in the process. And Christ has forgiven us, but feeling that, living in that is a different thing. And so um, what we're doing, we believe that we're forgiven, that we're saved, that we're free. Um, but learning how to 
functionally act and live that way is different because, frankly, if you deal with shame uh, and it was something public, you've likely been told the opposite of this for, very, for a very, very long time. And it was said to you in some cases so many times by someone else that you began to believe it. And so this process of, of making sure that we are consuming what is true and reconsuming what is true is, in a sense, saying what we know to be true to ourselves enough times that we begin to believe that it's true and actually live as if it's true. And that's where this may be very helpful. So let's just talk down through these. Um, and they, they go in tandem with one another. So first, you want to go together? You just want me to go? Okay. We have plenty plan for this. Well, I'm not going to be just the flesh ones. That's going to make me feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I'll tell you what. I'll be. Is that cool? Okay. Um, I'll read them if you'll pray again. Three weeks in a row, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. All right, cool. All right, so, uh, so here they are. We gave two so you can read along. But we didn't want you pre-reading them. So that's why we waited to hand them out. All right. Um, first of all, in the flesh, I am a sinner because I sometimes sin. But in Christ, I am a saint, though I sometimes sin. Very different. In the flesh, my behavior tells me what to believe about myself. But in Christ, my belief about myself tells me how to behave. In the flesh, my significance comes from what I've done. In Christ, my significance comes from what Jesus has done. In the flesh, my value comes from how people have treated me. But in Christ, my value comes from how God has treated me. In the flesh, my identity comes from what people say about me. But in Christ, my identity comes from what God has said about me. In the flesh, my future is hopelessly defined by my past. But in Christ, my future is hope-filled and defined by my Father. So Paul in, in uh, Romans chapter 8, goes through this process of explaining to us how we walk and how we follow the Spirit now that we know we're in Christ. And uh, that's actually Romans 8, 28 is where one of the most famous verses in all the Bible comes from. You know, to do, or, uh, 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 God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes, right? Which uh, a lot of people have understood to mean everything's going to work out. And we know that's not true, right? That's not what it says. But that in all circumstances, no matter how, how difficult something might be that we face, God can take that and use it for his glory. That's what Romans 8, 28 is about. So Paul goes through this whole chapter and he's trying to encourage them how to walk in the spirit even when it's difficult. Even when challenges coming from the outside, even when challenges coming from the inside. And we're, we're walking in condemnation and uh, in our own failure. And so he goes through all of that and he caps it this way. I think it's incredibly powerful. Whether... Whether you're struggling with something you've done or maybe something that's been done to you, he caps it um, in verses 33 through 39, where he says, and this is what I'd like to leave us with today. In uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 33 through 39, Paul says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to judge you? Okay? Who's going to call you out for your sin? Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. So don't let someone else determine your value, your worth, your identity. Who shall bring a charge against God's life? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who's even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. <laughs> so I mean, who judges? Is it Jesus? Jesus is sitting next to the Father interceding for us. 
Right? That's what he's done for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. He's saying, that's a reference back to Old Testament scripture. He's saying, all the pain that we're going through can ultimately be used for your glory. Yet, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Well, there's a verse that gets used a lot to talk about we are more than conquerors, and people usually use it, frankly, to, 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 to talk about a person overcoming their sin. That would defy everything that Paul has been talking about. We are overcomers not because of anything we've done. We are overcomers because we're in Christ. We are overcomers. We can get through anything. We can endure any hardship. We can walk through any situation, not because we're strong, not because we've made good decisions, not because we have a good resume, but because of what Christ has done for us. And who can separate us from that? No one. If you put your faith in Christ, your identity is in Christ. So don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Don't let anyone try to denigrate you or, or bring you down to something other than that. You are a child of God, heirs of the kingdom, and learn, we must learn to live and walk in that. He said, verse 38, I'm persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing, that's the etc. on the whole phrase. I'm convinced there is nothing, not anything in this world, not anything in the next world, not anything in the supernatural or the natural or anybody you know or don't know, nothing. Nor things present, nor things come to right, that shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'm telling you, if you deal with shame, you should read that verse over and over and over and over again to know that you are a child of God, you are forgiven, you are free, you are redeemed, and don't tell yourself, much less let anyone else tell you otherwise. Don't find your identity in those things, don't let it drag you down, walk with your head up, knowing you're forgiven, and say, hey, my decision, because my position is in Christ, is that my condition every single day is going to be walk in the Spirit and be everything He desires me to be. Hold your head up high. You are a child of God. Amen. Would you pray for us? Dear <laughs> Father, I just want to start with the words thank you. Thank you from all of us for everything and while that seems so weak and frail um it is all we have to offer back is our thanks in in the fact that you sent your son just for us to free us from the shame that satan so desperately wants us to carry i'm so grateful for the words of paul in scripture that walk us through um, how to make sure that our position is correct and our condition then is based on that. Um, I am so thankful for your love for us, for each of us, um, and so grateful that we get to gather and hear truth um, and just um, share this experience of learning about you and your love for us together. Continue, Lord, to just speak truth into us 
this week as, as ideas of shame come up, as we walk through and we think through um, this bear of shame in our own lives, um, just use the Spirit to remind us of your truth that um, we are saints even though we sometimes sin and that um, our significance comes from Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and that our identity comes straight from what you say about us and that our future is hope-filled because it is with you. Amen.